It's very, very important for each of us to have people who are advocates for us and help us to go into the areas that we really want to shine. Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your daily helping. Thanks for tuning into this episode of The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and I have a great guest to share with all of you today. Terry Class is a leadership training consultant and speaker who partners with organizations to create cultures of empowerment and develop future leadership. She believes that regardless of your position or title, everyone can be a leader. Terry delivers highly successful leadership workshops and is a speaker and author of articles about leadership, as well as working with the different generations in the workplace. Terry has a weekly blog on leadership where she shares challenges that leaders face daily. She is the co-author of the book, Energize Your Leadership. Terry, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dr. Richard. I'm so thrilled to be here. So I wanted to start off with a little bit about your past, and I do this with a number of guests. I'm very grateful that you're here. One of the things that I found on your website in doing a little bit of research was that your background was in education, as in going to school to become a teacher, which is absolutely not what you're doing. So tell me a little bit about how you went from being an undergrad studying education to what you're doing right now. Well, that's a very interesting story. Actually, um, I love being a teacher. I did uh, get my undergraduate degree in secondary education. I was an English teacher for, for a couple of years. And I realized at some point that I might want to try business. I worked for a company that made cash registers and I was a credit analyst. And although it wasn't a very highly uh, regarded job, I got into learning about numbers. And I realized that finance might be an area that I might be interested. So it was a time that a lot of women were going back for their MBAs and I decided I would give it a try. So um, although I love teaching, I really wanted to get into the business world. So I, I received my MBA, but when I got out, I didn't know what I was going to do. So I took a job. They told us to take a job with the best company that you could. And I took a job with a bank in New York City. And I became a, an analyst back to that same kind of position. But as I worked there, I realized that I was much more excited about working with people. And I was able to switch into a human resource position. Um, I found somebody along the way who mentored me. And I became a trainer. And after working at the bank and, and dealing with people for many years, I decided that I would become a trainer on my own, a consultant. And that's what I am doing today. But really, there's, it's a crossover. There's a huge crossover between teaching children and teaching adults. It's the whole concept of educating 
but it's, it's different because adults really are there to learn and grow because they want to be. So it's a very different kind of uh, connection in the classroom. But I'm still a teacher at heart. Just in a different capacity. Yeah. And, and I think it's interesting, too, that you mentioned that you had a mentor along the way. I, I think mentorship is so important. And many of the guests that I've had on this show who have basically changed the direction of their career tremendously because they had somebody that believed in them and helped them get there. Oh, absolutely. I'm a big believer in having mentors. And I work with many organizations where I help them create um, cultures of mentorship and these mentoring partnerships. And it's very, very important for each of us to have people who are advocates for us and help us to go into the areas that we really want to shine. So I want to jump back now into your story. So you essentially have gone off now and you became a consultant on your own. How long have you been doing that? I've been doing this for about 20 years. <laughs> okay. Which makes you kind of official, I think, at that point. <laughs> so one of, one of the things that you talk about on your website in terms of consulting is leadership empowerment. What does leadership empowerment mean to you? Well, first, let me step back with the word empowerment, because I feel that that's a very, very important word. So I define empowerment as the process of becoming stronger and more confident, especially in controlling our lives. I think that leadership empowerment takes it to the next level where we really need to take the initiative to make something better in our personal or professional life by using our unique gifts and talents. So in order to gain more control, and I'll talk about that a little bit later, because I think we all really need to have control in our lives. And to become more confident and to become stronger, we need to take action. And we, use, we take action by using our unique gifts that we were born with. And it also, leadership empowerment also involves taking on the responsibility of holding ourselves fully accountable for our actions. Um, sometimes we do things and we don't want to be held accountable for the consequences, but it's critical to own them. And that's part of the empowerment process. Um, and in terms of everybody, I mean, sometimes we're not in our dream jobs and we, you know, many of us wish that we could become um, more influential, but through leadership empowerment, we don't have to feel stuck. We don't have to feel that we're, we have no control in whatever job we may be in, as long as we are able to take action and make things better. When you say take action, I'm curious, are, are we talking, and I know this is kind of a loaded question because everybody's in a different situation. Are you saying take action, action that's leadership-oriented action, or is this any kind of action, period, that moves a person forward towards a goal? Well, this is what I've noticed. I've noticed in working with many leaders, and this is another concept that's very important to me that you could lead from wherever you are. Le leaders sometimes feel frustrated. They feel frustrated because they don't have a certain kind of control in their work situations, or they might not have control in their personal lives. So what I have learned and, and, and helped people do is to figure out, it could be little steps, and in, in, in whether it be to step up and take on a new responsibility or try a new skill. But anything that will help grow us and help make us stronger and more confident. 
and it could be little steps. Yeah. So if I if I heard that correctly, then it was it was more the latter to my question. It's essentially pushing somebody, or rather, pushing yourself a little bit outside of your comfort zone, doing something that enhances a skill, whatever it is, because that's empowering. Absolutely. It makes us more confident and makes us stronger by doing that. And in doing so, you, you spoke of control and you said you wanted to revisit control. It is control, from your perspective, the feeling that you're steering the boat of your own life's direction? Is that what you mean by control? Absolutely, Dr. Richard. That's a beautiful way to say it. We each want to feel like we are driving our own um, path, whether it be our professional paths or our personal paths. And sometimes something happens and, and we get out of control. We can't drive it and we have to kind of refocus it. And that's where we need to really grab onto our unique talents and our strengths and find them and locate them and figure out what we need to do to gain this kind of control back. Because people hate to feel out of control. So walk me through a scenario. Pretend that somebody walks into your office, they've been in the same job for 30 years, and really they don't feel as though they have a lot of talents, a lot of strengths. How do you help someone find those unique gifts which you feel are so important? Great question. Great question. So one way that we can locate, or I call locate or discover our gifts, is by looking around, seeing what other people look to us for help for, figuring out what are people reaching out to us to do? Are they asking us to help them with writing something? Are they asking us to just listen? Are they asking us to you know, fulfill something for them? What, whatever it is, Think about what people turn to us for. That's one indication of what we are talented, of how we are talented. And asking people that we trust and that we feel comfortable with what they see as some of our gifts, some of our strengths, you know, what, what they call upon us to do. The first step is to figure out what it is that we really are, what's unique to our particular situation and what's unique to our um, skill set. Again, you know, some of us may be great listeners. Some of us um, may be great with our hands and we can build things. Some of us, you know, might be great troubleshooters or problem solvers. I even once had a boss who was very patient. Some of us are very patient and unflappable. Figure out what it is that you are truly skilled at and what you find you enjoy doing as well. Is this something that has to be a passion? Or, I mean, obviously that helps. (laughs) Is it something that has to be, this is what I was put on this earth to do, or can it be something else? So this is very interesting because um, I I grapple with that situation all the time um, because I try things that sometimes I don't feel I necessarily am strong at. For example, I have a weekly blog that I write about leadership. And although I've always been a, a good writer, I felt like, it was going to be difficult for me to, to add that to my list of commitments. So I was worried about creating this blog. But but what I realized, so that wasn't my passion, right? You asked me, you know, was this you know a passion? And that really wasn't. But as I began to write, I began to realize that I connected with people and other leaders. And and I got they got to hear my stories and I got to hear their stories. And through that, 
I developed my unique take on on leadership patterns and, and connections. But it wasn't initially a passion. If that's the case, and that was certainly true for you. Now, is it a passion now? It is. It okay. is. Now, now it's it's turned into something very important to me. But I never... So I guess to, to answer your question, it doesn't have to start as a passion. It could be just something that you may be fascinated about or interested in, in learning and growing and learning more about. And that is the first step in exploring some kind of a gift if you want. Wonderful. Now, I, I think you, you said it in such a succinct and great way because essentially... You know, one really never knows where a path might take them. And yet you don't start that path unless you take those first couple steps, even if you don't really know where it's going. Exactly. And the other thing, Dr. Richard, I would say, you know, they've done a lot of studies about strengths and weaknesses and whether people should focus on their strengths or people should focus on improving their weaknesses. And it has been shown that they will be far more successful if people develop their strengths and focus on their strengths and trying to really build up these weaknesses. Because, you know, each of us has blind spots. Each of us has things that we might not be as good at. But if we focus on the areas that we are strong, we will be much more successful. Is that what you mean when you say leading from where you are? Well, leading from where you are is a whole concept about the fact that you don't need a title don't need a position. You don't need a little crown on your head or anything like that. We can all lead from wherever we are, regardless of those kinds of things. The only thing we need to do if we want to lead is we need to take action, take responsibility, and make a difference. And that's within each of us to do. So so you don't need to sit back and wait for this to happen. I work with many different levels of managers, employees, and many different kinds of organizations. And that's one of the first things I share with them, that you're all, I tell them they're all leaders. They're all leaders. And they, if they choose, they can lead. How is that generally received? Because I, I would expect that somebody that's been in a corporate structure for a while, where it's very much feudal in nature and there are, you know, serfs and barons and whatnot, essentially in these different corporate managerial roles, that they're used to this hierarchy. And then here you are, Terry Class, saying, hey, guess what? You're all leaders. So what is that like That's when, when you hear that or when you express that rather? Well, actually, Dr. Richard, it's received very well from every single level. Eyes will open up, ears will start perking up, and I get the look from my participants that, oh my gosh, you're right, Terry. You're right. I can lead. I can be a leader. And I don't have to wait to be promoted to a certain level to become a leader. I I can take the lead because being a leader means doing our very best, no matter where we are, no matter where our station happens to be landed at any particular time. As long as we do the best and try to contribute and add value, we are leading. We are leading. And through that, we will keep growing. So uh, even senior leaders become very excited about that because they feel then everybody on their team is going to be um, doing their very best and holding themselves accountable to do their very best. 
Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it, and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you, and I can't wait to see where you'll go. So there's two two things that you've mentioned a couple times, and one is accountability, and two, that everybody is doing their very best. So how connected are those two concepts? Well, I'm a big believer in accountability, and I work with many organizations in how to create cultures of accountability. Accountability is when everybody feels that they're part of something, that they belong. There's a feeling of belonging to whatever the vision is, to whatever the team is doing. And if they feel like they belong, and if they feel that they are adding value and appreciated, and that they are valuable, then it all comes together for organizations. It all comes together for teams. And that's the third thing that you have repeated several times is adding value. So talk a little bit about adding value. And and if you could, adding value in the corporate world, but adding value outside of that as well. Yes, absolutely. Human beings, people, leaders, we want to feel that we want to feel appreciated. We want to feel that whatever we're doing, no matter if we're doing it in our professional lives or in our personal lives, that people see the value that we're adding. Whether it be an activity, a volunteer position, or just helping somebody kind of um, go through some information and sort through information, whatever it may be, we want to feel that people see that we are trying our best and that we in return, want, want them to see that we, we care and that we, we value them. And we would love for them to also see our value. And that's really important because in the end, we will perform in a much higher way if we feel that we are valuable. And in, in fact, they, you know, when people leave firms, they're not leaving a job. They're leaving because they feel that people don't value them. Makes, makes perfect sense. And, you know, thus far we spent the first half of the show or so talking about, you know, the leadership and empowerment around it. What happens when it doesn't work? What happens when there's conflict? And how do you help resolve that? Well, we each have our own different ways of dealing with conflict. You know, there's several different conflict styles out there. I think the most important piece in dealing with conflict is listening, is listening to other people's perspectives and keeping an open mind and I call an open heart. When you keep an open mind and an open heart, you can really hear how the other person is feeling. Sometimes at the hub of conflict is simply a different you know, perspective, seeing things differently. Not that one is better. It's just that it's different. And if we are able to try to change 
our lens and the way we're seeing things, we can open up our minds and say, well, you know, that's another way of looking at it. It might not be my first choice, but it's another way of looking at it. So when conflict does arise, what I try to do is get people to talk about their perspectives and then try to figure out ways to mesh the different perspectives together. That makes a lot of sense. One of the things that I imagine you encounter is you have conflicts based on the different age groups of people that are working in the corporate world. Can you talk a little bit about that, please? Absolutely. Well, I work um, with lots of different generations. In fact, we have four or five now kind of moving through all um, organizations at this point. It's It's a very hot topic and yet a very personal topic for many companies. So we have different generations. For example, we have the the baby boomers. We have the traditionalists who are kind of really retiring, right? They've already starting. They're mostly retired. Then we've got the baby boomers who are on the verge of retiring. But the problem is they lead and have led in a very different way than the Gen X generation and the millennial generation in that baby boomers live to work. Whereas the Gen X, Gen Xers and the millennials really work to live. And their work ethics are very, very different. Where the baby boomers had a, a, a real division between I'm at work and now I go to play or I go home with my family, the millennials and Gen Xers kind of mesh the two together, especially the millennials. If you think about a whole continuum, they see work and play all in one thing that they want to be at work sometimes. And, and the people at work for them are their friends. Where the baby boomers always had separate friends at work, and separate friends outside of work. So there does sometimes have, we do face different types of conflict at different points. And what I do with them when that does happen is we talk about what each generation brings to the workplace. And we don't want to stereotype and we don't want to pigeonhole right? The different generations. But the truth is they're really different, right? I mean, they're very different. I'm curious. I I mean, you, you mentioned the baby boomers and the baby boomers, you know, these are the post-World War II born individuals. And Gen X, as I understand it, is generally the early seventies to mid eighties and then millennials or everything after that, essentially. You said that Gen X and millennials share a quality in that they work to live. But how are millennials and Gen X different from each other in the workplace? Okay, great question, Dr. Richie. <laughs> and I happen to know this. Well, so Gen X grew up, they were the first latchkey kids. They were the first kids whose parents, a lot of them both worked. Latchkey kids were the kids who came home after school, right? And they let themselves in with a key and waited at home till their parents came home. So what they, as a result, developed skills that they were able to be self-sufficient and very self-reliant, call it. So when they enter the workplace, they really enjoy working individually a lot. They love to work. They like to be on teams, but they first like to work individually and do their own thing. Whereas... The millennials grew up with everything was participatory. Everything was cooperative. Every, even in school when they learned, everybody was in groups. 
And so as a result, when they got into the workplace, they really love to work in teams. They don't necessarily need to be um, on their own and they prefer to have a partner or, or whatever it is. They don't necessarily need to be you know, on their own. So these two can clash sometimes that they sometimes can feel like, you know, one really needs more group work and one really needs more individual kind of work. So as a boss, um, it's really important to meet both those kinds of differences. And also the other thing is, of course, because of the age now, now we have a lot of Gen Xers managing the millennials. So they're working hard to try to you know, let the millennials have their, their group situations because that's really what they love to do. They're great team players. They're great. And, and that brings me to the point that each generation is fantastic. The key and the success of, of managing them all, making all the generations work well, is to leverage the talents of all. Terry, you mentioned that the millennials tend to work better in teams. What are the strengths of the other generations? Well, the baby boomers, they work endlessly. <laughs> they work endlessly. They'll put in tremendous amount of hours. And the other thing about the baby boomers is they are, they have the institutional wisdom, right? Because they've been around the longest. So they, they bring with them amazing amount of institutional wisdom. Gen Xers, they're the beginning of the, of the tech kind of craze, but they're not quite as, as far along. Again, the, the, they, they can work individually and they can, they're very, very reliable. They're very loyal. They're very loyal. The millennials, on the other hand, are the tech savvy generation. And we have to be crazy not to le leverage their technology abilities because that's when we, you, you know, ask them for help with that. They feel so, again, back to this being valued and so appreciated and feel that they're really sharing their talents and their gifts with an organization. And so essentially, if you happen to be the baby boomer or the traditionalist, although I, I doubt there are probably not too many in there and they're certainly probably not listening to this program, but it's it's finding that common ground. It's finding how do you take, you know, the the millennials, for example, their their passion for community, and turning that into a strength within your organization. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And the other thing that we have to remember, oh, this is a very big thing. So, who raised millennials? Millennials were raised for the most part by the baby boomers. Baby boomers coached the millennials throughout their lives. So when the millennials hit the workplace, they were looking to be coached because that's how they, they related to older people. And those baby boomers who figured that out were are able to really be very, very impactful leaders, in, very impactful leaders in the workplace because they're able to coach these millennials because that's what they did with their own kids, right? And the millennials love it. They're so open to the feedback. They're so open to doing things um, and trying new things. And and they're they're eager to do that. The thing is, the baby boomers have to give the millennials space to do their thing. And, and if they 
don't want to put in the long hours. They have to figure out a way to let them, you know, they, they want to leave at five. If millennials want to leave at five o'clock because they have places to go, people to see things to do, they'll do that. But then at eight o'clock at night or nine o'clock at night, they'll jump back on the computer and they'll finish the work. So, so it's important that we try to understand the different styles of doing work. And that's half the battle. I think it's so interesting what you said, Terry, about the, the, the different way of approaching the workplace, whereas, you know, the, the traditionalist, the baby boomer sees it as an eight to five or eight to forever, <laughs> depending on how many hours they're working. And the millennial, I'm sure you've heard all of the negative stereotypes about millennials related to work ethic, that they don't want to put in those long hours, that they want to, as you said, click out at five and, and go spend time with their friends. When what you're saying is it's actually, they want to do that, but then they're going to go home, hook up their computer and get back to work. So that's really interesting. Yep. And that's what sometimes the baby boomers forget. It's just different. It's just a different flow of work. They're still doing it. They're just doing it in a different way. And that's okay. We can, you know, we can be different. It's fine. It's absolutely fine. So speaking of differences, I wanted to ask you about something else that I know that you have expertise in. One of the things that you talk about on your website is how to help people deal with difficult coworkers, difficult relationships. So what are the keys there? <laughs> well, the first most important key is we sometimes allow difficult people to actually be difficult. We actually allow them to have control over us. There comes the control piece again, because we allow them to do the things they do. They couldn't do it if we didn't allow them to do it. The thing with difficult coworkers and difficult people, even in our personal lives, is that we might want to wish them away, but they're really here to stay. And just as one leaves, I promise everybody, there's always another one that's going to arrive. So it's important that we yeah, think about how to deal with them. One of the ways I, I work on, on helping people is through the communication and being a clear communicator and not allowing ourselves to be belittled or, or taken advantage of, but also to understand that maybe it's just that they do things in a different way again. Even with these generations, sometimes people feel that the one generation might be difficult and the other generation not as difficult. But it's all in our perspective. We actually have the control. If we can actually say, okay, well, I'm not going to allow this particular situation to make me nuts. I'm going to figure out a way you know, to, to work around it. On the other hand, if I need to say something, I am going to speak up. I'm not just going to you know, tolerate this type of behavior. So accountability, but accountability for self in terms of how we react to others is what I'm hearing. Yes. And not blaming other people. The opposite of account being accountable is, is blaming. That's the true opposite. So we don't want to blame. We want to take hold of a situation. We want to hold ourselves accountable and responsible for our own actions. But we also want to do it in a respectful way. Respect is the other piece. Everybody wants to be treated with respect. And as long as we treat people with respect, you'd be surprised how much you can share and how much you can influence people. 
because we all want to be um, respected and we all, we all need to show respect to everybody that we work with and, and that we deal with in our daily lives. I know these are topics that you touch on in your book, Energize Your Leadership. I, I would like you, if you could, to take some time, talk about the book and what people would get out of it. Well, Energize Your Leadership, I guess, was launched um, almost two years ago. It's a fascinating story. So it actually, we, we all met online. We all met online through um, different types of, a lot of us on Twitter and a lot of us in tweet chats. And we decided, well, well, we started to notice were five of us who were the content coaches. And what we started to notice is that people were getting exhausted with leadership. People were not feeling great about being leaders. They were, they were really run down about it. And we started to talk about, well, how could we make leaders feel invigorated and, you know, become um, excited again? And so we came up with the idea of let's talk about stories. Let's, let's tell stories of how each of us, depending on these different topics, became kind of exhausted or overwhelmed and how we figured out ways to overcome that, how we overcame these obstacles. So the, the book is actually are, are, it's about insights from 16 different leaders across the globe. And each of us tells our story. We get very short stories, but they're very poignant stories. And how on topics that many people can relate to. So some of the topics um, that we, we talked about was, and, and I, I mean, I'm very much into, into dealing with your gifts, but we talked about energizing your values or uh, unwrapping your gifts and unleashing your creativity, being authentic and serving to lead, you know, whole servant leadership concepts. And we talked about how we could reignite our leadership. So it, it became a whole, this project took us years to do. And it was fascinating because we met wonderful people. And again, this all started in the virtual world, which is pretty interesting. That is interesting. Actually, uh, a couple uh, other authors of that book are coming onto this show. And I'm excited to share their different perspectives uh, than from what we're hearing here as well. Everyone, as you said, has kind of a unique spin on leadership. So that's really exciting. And you said this is all story-driven, which I think is really terrific because so many of the books that are out there today read like textbooks, but they're not, they're not rooted in story. And stories are what invoke emotions. Stories are what fascinate people. So that's, that's terrific. Stories are very important to leaders. I, I, I uh, we talk about a lot of my programs about what are each of our unique leadership stories are, and the importance of sharing that with others. We each have our own story, and and how we got to different points that we are today. But people connect with stories. You're right. So I'm going to ask you to spoil a little bit of the the book, uh, unless we did that in, in the very first five minutes of the show. What is your story? So I write about unwrapping your gifts and I talk about finding out and discovering our real strengths and our talents and our gifts and how we can go about discovering them. And I share a story about working and doing a training in an organization that I was very, I was asked to do a training for 
a manufacturing firm on communication and the people in the class, the participants, had three different languages. And I did not realize that going into the training, that there were three different languages that were, were spoken in my particular workshop. And I panicked. How on earth was I going to talk about communication when a bunch of the people couldn't even communicate with each other? And I certainly couldn't understand some of them. So I talk about what my end up, ended up being my real gift and how I figured this out through this particular training. Leaving us kind of very in mystery. So we'll, everyone <laughs> will, just, will just have to get the book and read it to find out how you managed to navigate that. But it was, it was a wonderful experience. I really think that that's exciting. Again, a story-driven book on leadership. Really can't wait to get my hands on that myself. And what I want to do with you as we wrap up is everybody who comes on the show, I ask, what is the biggest helping? That is the one thing, the single most important piece of information that you'd like a listener to take home with them after hearing this today. So I guess, Dr. Richard, what I would say is that we all can lead from wherever we are, regardless of our title, regardless of our position, no matter where we are in life, we can be leaders. And that we don't need to wait for someone to ask us to step up. We can step up ourselves and make the first move to help others. And in helping others, actually help grow ourselves. And lastly, I wanted to leave with, with a little bit of a quote from Sheryl Sandberg from Facebook, the CEO of Facebook, which kind of connected with what I just said, that she said that being confident and believing in your own self-worth is necessary to achieving your potential. And I feel like leadership is all about believing in ourselves, understanding our gifts, believing we can lead, lead. and this leadership empowerment is about really being able to grow stronger and more confident if we can just take take action and, and move to move forward. I love that. I love everything that you just said. That's absolutely fantastic. Terry, thank you so much for coming on today. I, I'd like to ask, where can people find you? Oh, thank you, Dr. Richard. Um, I can be found on my website at www.terry classconsulting.com and you can reach me on Twitter at Terry Class um, and you can find me on Facebook Terry Class Consulting and you can um, find me on LinkedIn as well at Terry Class and I'd love to connect with all of you. Outstanding. And that's K-L-A-S-S for those driving in their car. Uh, what we will also do is in the Daily Helping app and for the show notes for this particular episode, we will post all those links in there as well for those of you not behind the wheel and sitting in front of a computer. Outstanding. Terry, thank you so much. It was really a pleasure having you on the show. That's it for today. As always, thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, please go subscribe to our show on iTunes. Leave a good five-star review. That's how other people can find out about this show and get their own daily helping. Now, go out there, do something nice for someone else. It's the most important thing that I always ask of everybody. Even if you don't know a person, do something awesome for somebody else that's unexpected. Post it in your social media feeds using the hashtag MyDailyHelping because those who are happiest, the happiest people are those that help others. 